All right. Quantum Leap. <laughs> yeah, classic. It is a classic. I love this show. You would. It's sci-fi. Guy. I like the sci-fi. This show I never really got into. Really? Yeah. Well, Scott Bakula. Yeah, good show. Quantum Leap. All right, you got the next one. Okay, I'll do the thing. I got there's so many good ones. I know that is absolutely not one you could have. I could have done this 500 times, and Quantum Leap would not have been one. I would have <laughs> really. Played. That was one of the top three I thought of. Really? Yeah, I love that opening. I love it. It's got a little cheese to it, um, but it's a good song at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I watched that a lot as a kid. Time travel, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, so we are on chapter eight, uh, rivalry or reconciliation. And uh, in this chapter, Brian explores uh, the story of Jacob and Esau, and also the story of Joseph and his brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, anything you want to say about the story of Jacob and Esau? Get us started. Jacob's a very common name today, and Esau isn't. Yeah, it's true. I don't know why that's the first thing that came out <laughs> of my head. It was helpful for me. So we um, we recently read this story in uh, the Growing in God's Love children's Bible at home. I read it with Micah recently. Mm-hmm. Micah's um, your daughter. Micah is my daughter. Thank you. Yep. Um, and they do a good job in that of... Um, of separating the story out in three sections. And so we were kind of looking forward to the next one, and she was interested in, in the story. Um, and she, pick, she picked up on it, though, with the first one about um, uh, about Rebecca, who's their mom, and mm-hmm. what kind of causes the huge division between. She, kinda, this, she said this is kind of strange that, that Rebecca would... So obviously favor one. Favor child. one over yeah. the other. And good for her for picking up on that. That's that. I mean, she's got her finger on the pain of this story, I think. Yep. yep. Uh, it's an uncomfortable one because it seems to be like divinely sanctioned favoritism, at least initially. Initially, yeah. it's divine. Like, you know, uh, just poor Esau, man. Yep. Uh, at every turn, he's uh, seems to be getting the low end of the yep of the stick. Yep, yeah. And so I think what's been helpful for me too to go back to these stories is to is to again see kind of how messy the characters are. We come to scriptures thinking these people have everything all together, and there is or the God is working with them because you know they have their acts together. Yes, yes. You know? Yes, exactly. And it's Good so point. Yep. far from reality. And it's the opposite. These are messed up people. And that the story up is really about God working with people who are making poor choices yeah. and are broken in some sense. Um, I, in many senses, in many ways, they're yep. broken. Yeah. Yep. And God finds a way to still bring about grace through 
or amid the brokenness. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And that's what these stories in Genesis are kind of primarily about. And McLaren does a beautiful job of lifting that up, I think, in chapter eight. He, you know... He says in like three pages what it would take me fifty pages to say. That's that's I yeah. think part of his genius. Yep. Yep. So, um, what did you like about this chapter? Is there a section that really stood out to you? Let's let's pick a couple sections. Well, uh, it made me think of my own brother. So, mm. like, and, and you know, I have a good relationship with my brother. My brother yeah. and I were always close. Yeah. Growing up, uh, he's two years older than me, so we would play together. We would always wrestle together, you know, just kind of do stereotypical boy stuff. Then he hit uh, kind of puberty at a relatively young age, Mm -hmm. Um, and when that happened, he kind of grew out of our relationship, or that's the way it is. Let me rephrase that. It seemed to me that he grew out of our relationship. Yeah. Um, and so there was some time there when we weren't as close. But now, I mean, we have a really good relationship. And so anytime I read a brotherly story, it, it always mm-hmm. pulls my head and heart to my brother, which which I enjoy. Mm-hmm. But again, I, th- these always make me just feel for Esau. And yeah. uh, the other part that kind of really... I really appreciated it. I had never thought of it this way. But when he describes Jacob's wrestling with God mm-hmm. as yeah. inner wrestling. Yeah. As if... That was a great section. As if yeah. uh, as if Jacob didn't necessarily physically wrestle God. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I and to be very transparent, I had honestly always read that as a... Yes. Pretty literal Absolutely. wrestling with you know with the hip injury Jacob walks with a limb for the rest of his life etc. Yep. But I mean it's it's a beautiful and powerful connection to the reality that we are all all endeavoring these inner wrestling matches yep. with with the reality of what God wants for us. Yeah. Yep. Sometimes what we already know God wants for us, but we still wrestle with it. He writes, his sleepless night of inner wrestling seems like an image for the human struggle common to us all. Like Jacob, we wrestle to get our way by trying to cheat or defeat anyone who has something we desire, including God. Like Jacob, we grapple with changing old habits, even when those habits aren't working for us anymore. Like Jacob, we agonize through the long night held in a headlock by despair, fearing that it's not too late for us to hope for a new beginning. So again, it's a great point you bring up. And again, how the scriptures open up when we try and see it outside of he had a wrestling match with yeah. someone, maybe God and Some angel, along whatever. And fought, right? yep, yep. Yeah. I mean, and even if he did, it still had meaning for him. But how does this open up when you start to see it yeah. in a... Um, broader than just a literal understanding. Um, yeah, I I had never read it like that before, too. And I try and see scripture that way. Yeah. Read it outside of this literal. I never thought of this as a non-literal example, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, what? Uh, and then, well, when the next, the next paragraph, when he talks about... Um, it's, I've always been intrigued by the hip injury. Um, and how Brian says that required him to walk with a limp, a lifelong memento of his long night of struggle. 
Mm-hmm. And so that got me thinking about um, uh, uh, sacred, so the wounds in our life, but those wounds that become sacred wounds. So Sacred scars. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I'm going to, I've read this, heard Richard Rohr talk about this before again. I'm going to talk about him again, about those wounds in our life um, that are, they're no longer open wounds. They're... Um, so not we're not talking physical wounds. They could be, but not really physical. More emotional and spiritual woundings in our life, <clears throat> um, and uh, they've now been. There's a scar over them, but there, there's, there's, but at the same time, there's this holiness attached to them now because that pain or whatever wounding that you experienced through a ton of hard work. And a ton of, I think, doing that with God, it becomes, um, there's been some kind of transformation in, in that wound. Um, you, you are, you've been, you've been changed through that You're wound. Yes, you are different, exactly. but in a, in a very positive, well, um, uh, in a positive way. It, it, it's transformed you, um, uh, in, you're, you're not talking about all wounds now. You're talking about. I'm talking about sacred wounds. Sacred wounds. Sacred Some wounds. wounds. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Just yes. to clarify. Absolutely. Yeah. Wounds that now um, uh, you look back upon, and while there is still pain there, there is also light has has made it through yep. into that that wound. Yep. And that's I, I think that's kind of what what this story is, is kind of talking about. And Brian's talking about a little bit of, um, of, of the wound, um, of, of the wrestling that Jacob was doing, Mm -hmm. um, and what came out of that kind of dark night for him, that night of confusion and despair and worry and anxiety. And I'm, and kind of looking at himself and realizing, oh my gosh, I've done some really, uh, I've made some poor choices in the past, um, um, but then he's come through that, and um, he can look back on that on that instance and see that he's been been transformed into something new. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, that's beautiful. Though, and, and he talks about that on the next page on on thirty four, and he talks about. Uh, he gets into not just Jacob, but also Joseph and the role Joseph played in mm-hmm. uh, bearing the image of God. The one caveat that I would just add, and more to more to the book than, than anything else, is that we also just have to be very careful when we're talking about suffering and when we're talking about sacred suffering, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. There is a big difference between God wanting us to suffer and God breathing grace into us when we suffer Absolutely. so that the suffering has a redemptive end. Yep. Another way of saying it is that, you know, um, at least I, let me put it this way. I don't believe God desires suffering of any kind. I agree completely. Suffering for the sake of suffering is never redemptive. Abuse is never redemptive. You know, uh, hunger, extreme poverty, you know, these, the, the pain of our world. It's not that, it's not that the suffering is redemptive just to be clear, but what can be redemptive is 
when God enters into it and breathes healing and grace yep. where we never saw it coming. And that is often us taking the opportunity to invite God into our suffering, right? Because yep. so often we choose to um, just deal with it ourselves in whatever capacity that is. Um, and sometimes the first step is to say, God, please enter into my life and whatever I'm going through right now. I need your help. Yeah. Or even and just asking, God, where, where the heck are you? Mm-hmm. This this hurts. This sucks. It doesn't feel like you're anywhere near me, you know, like a yep. lament. Yep. And then, yeah, absolutely. Yep. That, that's powerful and it's beautiful. Yep. Uh, I, I also loved how he, you know, it's very clear he's writing this book with a very strategic arc. Right. Mm -hmm. Because when you get down to page 33, you you know, and he's talking about and I loved that image uh, in the very last paragraph. uh, He writes, he, um, Jacob, discovered God's grace in the one he had always considered disgraced Mm -hmm. in the face of the other. He rediscovered a brother, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and. Later on, he he talks about how, you know, the, this flip, the, this inverted dynamic, right, that, that just sows its way throughout all of Scripture. Uh, the one who we think it disgraced is actually the one who's who's yeah. who's truly gifted. Um, uh, in on page thirty four, the fourth paragraph, the one. Everyone cruelly rejected was the one whose kindness everyone needed. Yep. The one who was considered favored wasn't made superior so others could grovel before him. He was made strong so he could serve him. It all goes back to the, and it's why I love the Abrahamic co- covenant so much. Mm-hmm. Blessed to be a blessing. Yep. In other words, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. You know, mm-hmm. it's the same kind of uh, mm-hmm. refrain. Uh, but he, I mean, McLaren just does a great job of, of pointing out that thread that just keeps on going. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like we, we often approach the Bible not looking for that thread at all. We're looking for those that have it all together. Um, uh, we'll eventually get, I think, to, to King David and King Saul and that relationship. I'm jumping ahead, but how... Um, uh, how when we look at both of those characters, we might very well relate more to Saul than to David, the one who doesn't have it all together, to the one who we think has it all together. I was, um, uh, I was again surprised by the amount of forgiveness that was in this, uh, these stories in this chapter. Um, so radical forgiveness and I had forgotten the depth of it. And, and Esau again is this fascinating character. And I think he talks about, Brian talks about how it's similar to the story of, um, the prodigal son Mm -hmm. in that the father is leaving the front porches of the house to come rushing out to the son. And Esau comes to him with joy on his face to see his brother that has harmed him so well. The main character in this story, it's all about Jacob. 
Um, and then it's... It flips. And then it flips, and it's Esau who is the one who has every right to want revenge and instead is all about reconciliation and being in relationship again. No groveling necessary. Yeah. yeah. And isn't there a part of us that wants to, that, that feels a little, I don't know, uh, robbed? The yeah. fact that the story doesn't have some groveling? Absolutely. You know, we want the uh, antagonist to have to suffer a little bit. Yep. Yep. You know, you know, come on, Esau. Make, make Jacob suffer at least a little bit. Yeah, the revenge feels good. Yeah, <laughs> for a time. Yeah, it does. And and his, he, he, I'm going to jump way ahead. Mm. But the question that kind of blew me out of the water, mm-hmm. the question on page 35 that he has at the end, number three, respond to the idea that in revenge we seek to imitate the person who has wronged us. And that in reconciliation, we imitate and reflect God. Well, I didn't read that question. Read read that like a couple times. Yeah. Respond to the idea that in revenge, we seek to imitate the person who has wronged us. And, and in reconciliation, we imitate and reflect God. My gosh. Yeah. Because, I mean, eventually in this chapter, what it's all about is, is reflecting God. Mm-hmm. Right. When yep. we exude grace, we reflect God. When we receive grace, and I loved this analogy or this whatever you call it. Uh, when you when you when you receive grace, you see divinity. You see God. You see the power of God at mm-hmm. work in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this great line in Les Mis. Mm-hmm. You know, to love another person is to see the face of God. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. To, to receive grace yeah. from another person yep. is to see the face of God as well. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and he's. You can see how he, how important it was for Brian to start in Genesis um, mm-hmm. with the two trees and build from there. Mm-hmm. That choosing to. Um, the invitation to be an image bearer of God mm-hmm. uh, compared to to take, to take the tree of knowledge yep. of good and evil and take on God's role mm-hmm. of uh, only God has power over. Yes. Instead of to decide what is good serving. and evil to decide what and how when we take that revenge, mm-hmm. um, we take on that power yeah. to decide who and what is good and what is evil. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I liked a lot about this chapter, but my favorite, I think my biggest whoa moment was simply question number three. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? That's excellent. What was your favorite part? Um, well, I've kind of already shared yeah. the not revenge, but forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that was it. Okay. I think that was it. So um, next time I get to pick the theme song. Next time you get to pick it. You got an idea? I have too many. Do you? Oh, there's so many good ones. Yeah. I I only had three or four when I thought about it, so I really need to start doing a deep dive into this. I grew up in a musical family, and so one of the things my does stick to the brotherly theme. My brother's an amazing musician. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, he, like one of our favorite things to do is to play, maybe not favorite, but to play old theme songs. 
80s theme songs, you know. Really? Mr. Belvedere, Who's the Boss, <laughs> Growing Pains, uh, Perfect Strangers. I totally forgot about Mr. Belvedere. Uh, there, there's so many yeah. great Once we old get started, theme songs. That's it. I haven't, I haven't, uh, I haven't taken stock in them yet. Um, this one came to me immediately. And you know, there's one that we both have talked about that we'll we'll play one day, but that's it's just too easy to go there because it's the best theme song of all time. Oh. You know what I'm talking about? Cheers. Yeah. 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 That's a great one. Yeah. I always loved it when they would play the whole theme song because there's a short version of the theme song and then there's the full version of the theme song. Yep. Yeah. And I was like, whenever we watch it, like, oh, yes, they're playing the full version. Let me ask you one more question. Because forgiveness is something that I think about a lot. How has your understanding of forgiveness changed over the years? As you've gotten older, has it changed or have new insights come? Just think about forgiveness. I'm not as good as it, good at it as I thought I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've definitely learned that. Yeah. Um, it It is not... It is... It is not something that is simply inherent, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, but I have come to appreciate just how important it is, not simply for the one who wants to be forgiven, but for the one who needs to do the forgiving. Absolutely. What a burden it is to carry the animosity. What a, what a burden it is to carry the anger. What a burden it is. Uh, so I've discovered those two things, the, the truth of them, you know, yeah. um, I, I've honestly preached forgiveness, essentially preaching sermons to myself. Yeah. I mean, sermons to everybody, but like, Hey, like this is, yep. yeah, this is tough yeah. stuff yep. when, so, not necessarily even when somebody's wronged you, but it definitely when somebody's wronged you, but, but when somebody's wronged somebody you love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. I think when I was younger, um, uh, I thought it was a one-time decision that you make to forgive. Mm. And then I would do that as I got older and realized all those, that pain kept coming back. And so for me, it's been helpful to see it as not a one-time decision, but an ongoing decision. To choose to forgive. And so like Jesus's comment of how often should we forgive, he's asked and he says 77 times. Wow. Has been helpful for me to see it as, oh, it's almost a daily decision to do it. Um, and it's helped keep the, because then there's, there can be this guilt of, I, I can't, I can't forgive like I want to or should to. And it can, it can kind of wrap like a noose around your neck of not being who you want to be. And so it's been that daily or that practice of making a decision to let go of your pain um, and choose to forgive. Um, But it is, it's one of the harder practices of the Christian journey, I think. That's amazing. I've never thought, I've never, 
I've never, you know, how many times must I forgive? You know, 70 times seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a line in the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I've never heard it that way, Joel. That's mm. profound, first mm. of all. And yeah, because ultimately what forgiveness is, this is also important to say, I think, what forgiveness is not is condoning the injustice. Yeah. Forgiveness is not saying what happened was okay. Yeah. What forgiveness is, is the act of saying, I will no longer hold this against you. Yep. Esau will, will, will remember what happened for the rest of his what, life. Right. Exactly. Yep. What Jacob did. And that's okay. What Joseph's brothers did. Yep. Is not okay. Yep. It is not okay. But the act of forgiveness was in them saying, I will not hold this against you anymore. Yep. But the idea that you can't. That's really helpful for me, Joel. I mean, the idea that forgiveness is not a one-time thing. It's not. It's not a. It's not a simple, definitive act of saying, "Okay, I'm never going to hold this against you again." Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is the continual act of saying, even when the pain comes back up. Yep. I'm. I'm still not going to hold this against you. I'm, I'm still not going to hold this against you. I'm still not going to hold this against you. And it's so hard. It is so hard. And we can. And, and, that and, was, and we can wow, name that. That was. Well, that was uh, and I, I think that was profound. Joel. You're welcome. I think this work here that this chapter is talking about of forgiveness and reconciliation. When we get into the why church question, mm. right? What's what's the point of what we're doing here? Um, we have something so needed and powerful to offer the world mm. um, that if this is a place where we can. Um, Learn how to forgive practice. and practice how practice to forgive. It. Practice how to forgive. Brian this McLaren, is... I heard, I read this by him one time. He said he was talking about um, what we want children and teens to know as they go leave our church and go off to college. And he said, well, he said as an example, wouldn't we want our teens to know how to forgive by the time they leave us mm. and go out on their own? Like, isn't forgiveness? One of those core pieces of what it means to be, um, core practices of what it means to be a Jesus follower. Uh, and so um, this is one of those uh, those encouraging uh, pieces of what it means to be a part of a community of faith. As we are learning together these practices, we can then go out and live them um, in the world. Um, because they're so needed. Yeah. Amen. Well said. All right. All right. Let me end with the last section of this chapter. If we want to reflect the image of God, we will choose grace over hostility, reconciliation over revenge, and equality over rivalry. When we make that choice, we encounter God in the faces of our former rivals and enemies. And as we are humbled, surrendering to God and seeking to be reconciled with others, our faces too reflect the image, reflect the face of God. We come alive as God's image bears indeed.